Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Doc Hollywood. So let's go ahead and we'll dive right into the movie. Doc Hollywood tells the story of Ben Stone, a doctor who is finishing up his residency in Washington, D.C., and is driving out to L.A. in order to become a rich plastic surgeon. On his way, he misses his exit and also barely misses some cows that are crossing the highway, swerving his fancy exotic sports car off the road and destroying a fence in a small town. The judge there sentences him to 36 hours of medical community service, and he may miss out on the dream life that he's always wanted if he can't leave soon. Screenplay by Jeffrey Price, Peter S. Seaman, and Daniel Pine from an adaptation by Lorian Leggett, directed by Michael Caton Jones, and released on August 2nd, 1991. So have you seen Dr. Hollywood before? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, but the only thing I remember about this movie was the pig. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even remember the pig. Because uh, I, I remember this movie while watching this now. I don't know. I didn't know the story then, and I didn't know the story while we were watching it. Yeah. And you All I really remember was him with a pig walking around. Okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, so this is probably my first time really watching it. First time really watching it. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of the same for me. I feel, I think that if I saw this, I think the neighbor family rented it, and I was over at their house, and we were probably playing board games or something while we were watching it, so I half-watched it. Mm. But, you know, renting it, assuming it was like some children's comedy starring Michael J. Fox, and then it turned out to be Not. this... <laughs> And I, yeah, I remember, I remember half watching it and being bored at the time. Yeah, I could see that. I don't, was this supposed to be a children's comedy? I don't. I don't know. It's definitely meant to be a comedy. Like one of the taglines is this summer's prescription for comedy. Uh Doc Hollywood. But I think because it's like Michael J. Fox. Yeah, everyone in thinks... In a comedy, and he was, like, what, two years removed from uh, Family Ties, and, like, one year removed from Back to the Future 3, and he still looks like a freaking little kid. Yeah, like, everyone thinks Back to the Future or Teen Wolf. Yeah, so... So they're like, let's course, watch this. Of course it's a kid comedy. Yeah. But very early on, it's not. But it's not, because, <laughs> no. I mean, there's nudity, and he's swearing a lot. It's very yeah. adult. Yeah, for... it has a PG-13 rating. They have two F-words in there, which I think, at least now, like, if you say more than one, then it's an automatic, automatic R. Automatic R, yeah. Um, I thought that was always the rule. And there is a very long, long topless scene. I think it's an compared entire... Compared to other PG-13 movies, which almost never show nudity. Yeah, I... We saw an entire naked woman because she would, comes out of the water and you 
she's walking she, out full naked, frontal. full frontal yeah. nudity, which surprised me for a PG-13 movie. Yeah. That's and when I looked at you. I was like, is this rated R? Yeah. And then at the very start when he's like at his uh, first uh, hospital and he's about to leave, they have like the going away cake and it's like two boobs because he's going to be a plastic surgeon. Yeah, yeah. And then like uh, at the bottom is like something like Bon Voyage asshole, mm. except they cut out a slice of cake. So it just said Bon Voyage hole. Oh. <laughs> so like it, it like they censored the swear word on the cake, but then they drop, uh, you know, swears and, and show some real boobs. Very weird choice. But yeah, it's not a kid's... It's not a kid's movie. Michael J. No. Fox definitely still looks like a kid, though. He almost always does. I don't know if you feel that way about him or not, but... I mean, kind of to this day, yeah. I think I always just think of him as Marty McFly. Yeah. Know? I will always think of him as that. Or, yeah. So... It, it's hard, because like, you have that opening scene where he's driving... Um, like on the highway while the credits roll and that, that song that, you know, that early nineties rock song is yeah, playing. Yeah, I, I kind of like that song. <laughs> I looked it up too. I mean, that song was, it's called the one and only, and it's by a British singer named Chesney Hawks. Mm-hmm. And I guess that song, he's a, he topped the UK single with that song for five weeks. Okay. And it reached the top ten in the U.S. around that time. Deserved enough, I guess. I, guess, I don't know. I, I, I was like, oh, this song is a very typical... It was fun. Yeah, it was a fun way to get the, the motor running, yeah. I guess. Um, but he, I don't know, Michael J. Fox just looks so weird. Like, basically, like, I don't know if it's the camera angle or what, but, like, barely peeking over the steering wheel of this little sports yeah. car. It just looked like a little kid. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is this supposed to be his first adult movie, I guess, after being in, you know, Teen Wolf and I don't Back to the Future know. and also Family Ties? I don't know. That's what so, I was trying to think. Like, is he trying to break away from that, being the teen actor, to more adult roles? I think so. I think that's probably part of the, the point of that. I don't know if it's like his first more serious or more adult role because I haven't seen some of his other stuff like um, what's that one called? The Smell of Success yeah I think this was definitely a, a calculated choice for him to be you know more adult as, yeah not so much a kid but I don't know I think at this time he's like 30 years old so enough about Michael J. Fox he's he's a decent enough actor I guess in this movie but like just the comedy isn't there in general. Like, it's it's meant to be a comedy. Yeah. But it's not... It's more of a romantic comedy, but... But the, the jokes don't typically land, and the romance wasn't there for me. I didn't, I didn't get the chemistry between him and uh, the main love interest, Julie Warner, who plays Lou, Lou yeah. or Vilula. Is that the full name of the person? Yeah. Um, like, even just him with uh, Bridget Fonda was probably more with her character. Well, you thought that was better chemistry? In a way, because I think she was all over him and he's just kind of not into it. Yeah. 
But I feel like he would, you know, she likes him enough that she would. F- That's what I was thinking. You know how she at the end of the movie, she follows him all the way to L.A. once he's there. And I and then I was like, oh, is this happening? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. The ending is, is a little weird. Yeah. Um, so Bridget Fonda plays the mayor's daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. who basically just wants a ticket out of this small town. Yeah. Um, uh, named Grady. North Carolina. Is it North or Carolina South or Carolina? South Carolina? I think yeah, it's South, South Carolina. Um, Which is not a real town. Not a real town. Um, it was filmed in McCanopy, Florida. Yeah, I which I don't know how, how large of a town that is. Obviously, it must be relatively it's, small. I looked it up, and it's a smaller town that's, Outside of Gainesville, Florida. So Gainesville, Florida is, you know, the northern part of Florida. Okay. And I think from what I was... Because I did find... There was an article that maybe I'll read later on about a guy who worked on that set and how that small town was enamored that, you know, Michael J. Fox was there to film and, you know, it was cool to see... Yeah. A film set being built in this little small town. Yeah, it would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Could be like the Olympics and just completely ruins things for years afterwards, but cool at the time. Um, so yeah, Bridget Fonda is there, and, and she's like obsessed with Michael J. Fox's character, Ben Stone, mostly as a ticket out of the town. And then Julie Warner is there, who wants to stay in the town, um, but is like the primary love interest um, the, the vixen who emerges from the water at the beginning and neither I thought had any sort of chemistry with him whatsoever. So the romantic part is kind of DOA to use a medical term. Honestly, the best, like the funniest parts were with Woody Harrelson for me. He was the comedy for me. Yeah, but he was a little one note. So Woody Harrelson plays, um... Lou's boyfriend, I guess, or pseudo-boyfriend, semi-boyfriend, Hank, who is also an insurance salesman in town. And every single conversation he has revolves around insurance. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, some of the stuff he did and said made me laugh. I think maybe towards the end of the movie. I think he gives one of the better performances. Yeah. So, like, I think this is probably one of Woody Harrelson's first non-Cheers roles. Yeah, I think this is right when Cheers was ending. It's close to it, or before close he to did. he left, because I think he left before the show fully ended, right? Yeah, I think so. It's been a while. Um, but he, yeah, right before he did White Men Can't Jump. Or, right, yeah, so I think this is one of his ways Before of, he becomes famous. Yeah, before he really jumps off. I, I, I think... Sort of like Michael J. Fox might have been trying to use this movie as a way to show he was more adult. I think Woody Harrelson was using this movie to show, I don't have to play the dumbass from Cheers. I yeah. can have more range as an actor. And then he branches out into White Man Can't Jump and what was that, Money Train, has, where he's like a full-on action star, sort of like whatever height. I don't know. I never watched it. but Yeah, I never watched it. But, but yeah. You know, he, from he expands his horizons and his... To, you know... People look versus Larry Flint. <laughs> then yeah, Natural he, Born Killers. Natural Born Killers, later. yes. And so I he, mean, he yeah, goes he goes on he, and does a bunch of varied stuff. 
and I think this is probably the first part of this. For Bridget Fonda, this is pretty much just like his, like one of her first movies in general. Yeah, I she was in another movie that I loved around this time called Shag, and she pretty much plays that same character. Okay. And yeah, I when I I think when I watched this the first time, I was like, oh, I I, I just really like Bridget Fonda. Yeah, she's she's great, and we'll see her a bunch more in the 1991 Movie Rewind podcast. She oh, that's good. F- up to four more movies that might be available to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is when she's up and coming and yeah. starting to act more until, you know, she gets into bigger roles like single white female. Or... Right, and Point of No Return and stuff like that in 92. Um, and then Julie Warner, who is most known for Tommy Boy a few, a few years later, um, yeah, that's, I, that's this is really only... her first major movie too. She had like a bit part in Flatliners, and then she's in a couple of Star Trek episodes, Next Generation, and like a TV movie called Stolen One Husband, which I don't know what, anything about. I just thought the title was cool. There's like one scene I'm gonna sort of jump to the end where, okay. where um, to illustrate that part. So there, there's two scenes actually. I guess one is when they're at the carnival. Mm-hmm. And they're dancing together. They're doing their little slow dance where they're sort of realizing that they're fully falling for each other or supposed to. And it's just watching them like dance close cheek to cheek and they have their mouths like slightly open and it sort of looks like they maybe want to say something to each other, maybe don't. And it's just long and drawn out and then at one point they have um, a shot of like the entire carnival behind them and it shows that they, like they're alone on the dance floor sort of like they're own, in their own little world um, and then um, they cut back to a closer shot and everyone in the crowd is back again so I think the camera worked a lot more to establish their chemistry than their performances where they just seem to be awkwardly glancing at each other and sort of like half speaking, half not speaking to each other. Um, and then when Ben Stone, Michael J. Fox's character, is going to leave for L.A. because his car is fixed finally and he has the ability to go home or whatever, um, she runs out crying from the hospital because she's guess afraid to say goodbye or she had just said goodbye or whatever and so sorry julie warner much better job in tommy boy yeah i remember the most from tiny boy i don't think she did a whole lot of major pictures after that i'm afraid but this movie overall has a pretty big cast for a small town we get introduced to a whole bunch of characters really quickly most of which we don't really get a chance to know they're just there for one or two lines and then are shoved aside yeah um, they come back and forth yeah i mean the mechanics yeah the mechanics the three older ladies who are there as like at the welcoming committee which have one of the better lines in there where like one of them presents like a full meal the other one presents like some fried chicken or whatever and then the third one says hungry man dinner i'm a bad cook I I thought that was kind of a good line. Um, So they come back here and there. And one of those old ladies, I just want to quickly shout out uh, Edie Bird. No, no, I'm sorry. Helen Martin. Helen Martin was one of those uh, who played Pearl in 227. Oh, okay. Because the most notable one to me was the Frances Sternhagen. Mm, Okay. To me, she's most notable as 
uh, Dr. Carter, Noah Wiley's grandmother in ER. Okay. I don't and, know if I watched that long <laughs> in the ER to... And then also, she is in Sex and the City as Kyle MacLachlan's mother. Mm, okay. As Bunny McDougal. I mean, both of her characters in ER and Sex and the City are... Okay. They're notable performances. So, yeah, good, solid cast with a lot of great bit part people. Um, you got David Ogden Steers, who is the mayor, who is... Um, We'll see him in Beauty and the Beast, Shadows and Fog. Uh, he's most notably known for uh, the MASH TV series uh, as Major Charles Winchester. And Bernard Hughes, Dr. Hogue, played the grandpa in Lost Boys. He was in Tron. Uh, he played uh, Grandpa Buzz in the TV show Blossom. Okay. So <laughs> he's, he's been around for quite a while as well. Townsfolk in there, way too many to mention, uh, honestly, so... I think they did a pretty good job of, of town building. Not so much world building, but like building the town. So we have, you know, a good cast of characters that I wish we would have gotten to know more. And I think they showcased the town and its various locations pretty well, too. I don't know. Like, what did you think of the, like, the small town vibe that the movie was trying to give? Um, yeah, it was cute. I yeah. liked it. The vibe that I got, I mean, it kind of just reminded me of maybe watching, you know, Tu Wong Fu, where they go into a small little town. It's kind of like that, you know, small town charm character, even though I think this town is bigger than the town that they go to in Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, it felt like more... It felt more like a living, breathing town. Yeah, because I, I think in Tuong Fu, it, was just, it seemed like it was one street. Yeah, it was like a couple buildings in Tuong But yeah, because they used this town in Florida, and I think they filmed all over this small town. I think they have free yeah. reign in this small town. It could be. But yeah, I, I thought it was, it was very charming and quaint, and I thought they utilized the, the different locations well. Like, I wonder if it's still like that today. But I don't know. I don't know. It was also kind of tough to see, get a sense of how big the town really was because <clears throat> they showed, you know, uh, the diner that was full of, you know, the the cast of characters. Um, but the exterior shots weren't so. How do I say this? They didn't have a whole lot of exterior shots in general in the movie. And the only time that they really did show the outside or the city streets was during the squash festival when you see a ton of people, mm-hmm. um, which I'm assuming most of them were tourists, but it, it really kind of threw off the scale of the town because you don't know how big the town really was because it was so laser focused on some of the, you know, individual locations like the diner or the hospital or wherever else. So that was the only minor downside there. Okay. So this article I found from the Ocala, Florida news. I hope I'm saying that right. O-C-A-L-A. It's an article that came out in January 6th of 2009 about this guy. His name is Frank James, and he was he was an owner, or maybe still is an owner, of one of the little art shops that was on that street where they do that festival or the parade you know, for the squash festival. And he owned an art gallery glass studio. 
And I guess in 1991, he was hired and earned $38.71 and to walk that pig while mm. they were setting up filming. So okay. he was like their pig walker. The pig wrangler. Yeah, for the while the crew set up for the day. Should we quickly explain how the pig factors in the story? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, <laughs> the car is wrecked. There's two mechanics who offer to uh, fix it. Um, but no one in the town takes credit cards, so they need cash. Character can't get cash. Um, one of the patients at the hospital wanted to pay the doctor back, Ben Stone back, and so he pays in a pig that he had in the farm. Michael J. Fox gives the pig to the mechanic uh, as payment for the part, who then sells it to the butcher, and then... He has to get the pig back because Lou's daughter really likes pigs, and so it's a, you know, madcap zany adventure. Um, long story short, there's a lot of scenes with Michael J. Fox walking a pig around the town and everybody commenting on how good of a pig it looks. That's the story of the pig. Yeah, yeah and that's the only thing I remembered when I was 11 years old watching this movie, I guess. Yeah. Five minutes of people saying, what a good looking pig. Yep, it sure is. Over and over again. That's the only... I mean, whenever he's walking... That's funny because, I mean, there's only how many people in that town and they always say the same thing every single day. Yeah. What a good-looking pig. But no one says anything different, and it's not a joke. It's just I commenting know. on a pig. Anyway, sorry. So this was the pig wrangler. In the yeah, town. It, that was just a little small thing that this guy, Frank James, said that he earned you know, $38.71... To walk this pig while the crews were setting up. And then they also used his shop for scenes, but I don't know which scenes. I think it was maybe exterior when they were just doing that festival, carnival type stuff. Yeah, it or it could that... have been something that was cut from the movie, too. You maybe. never know. And the other thing is he talked about the scene where Julie Warner comes out of the lake nude. They did that take... 28 times of her coming in and out of the water nude. That's... Which is... Excessive. Oh, I know. <laughs> so I kind of feel bad for her having to do that over and over again. The only reason I could possibly see needing to do that is for any sort of, like, lighting effect. Because, like, okay, when when she's walk, But when she's walking out of the, the lake, um, it starts off in a more, um, like, orange and... and um, yeah, it's sun like kissed. sun. Yeah, the yeah. sun is either rising or setting, so it's got to be at the. It has like a fantasy dream <laughs> type of vibe to it, and mm -hmm. you see her more in silhouette than anything else. And then they get to the real stuff that happens in the movie. I guess um, the definitely not a dream portion. Nothing special about it. So if that's the part that took twenty eight takes, I have no idea why that would ever be necessary. Yeah, I wonder how many takes it took for just walking of a pig or something. Right. <laughs> I don't know. He also said that they came up with that nude scene or lake scene to avoid getting the family-oriented G rating. He said that Hollywood folks, this is a quote, sees that as a kiss of death if they want the movie to appeal to all ages. I mean, okay, a couple things. One... <laughs> Yes, it's true that the G rating is something of a kiss of death for non-animated movies. But 
there was no way this movie was going to get a G rating because of all the swear words. There's I a little mean, bit of tiny bit of medical gore, and if they really wanted to push it further, they could have. Um, but not just the not just the fox. Like there's a lot of shits, a lot of shits yeah. in there. <laughs> um, you have the boob cake. Like they even make a point of it in the uh, the courtroom scene where he's getting awarded or you know not awarded sentence the 36 hours of community service. Um, they're saying you know don't use swears, say things like fiddlesticks in these parts. Remember, like mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's swearing up a storm and he's getting sort of chastised for it. Um, so there was no way that they were going to get a G even without the nude scene. I, I even looked up the the history of when the R rating came about. And on July 1st, 1984, the Motion Picture Association of America introduced the rating of PG-13. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there it's been a few years, like six, seven years at this point. Yeah. And initially there was, you know, the G, which general, and then M was mature, and that included PG-13 and up, I guess. Yeah, it was basically G, PG, M. And then the R rating also came about around that time, August <laughs> 1984, so like a month later. Um, but just, yeah, the R... They just raised the R age limit from the M category, which was PG-13, to R. And so yeah, mature became, 17. yeah, mature became PG PG-13, and then R, which yeah. raised to 17 and up to see the movies. And then you know, according to the MPAA, the content of a PG-13 film is inappropriate for children under 13, which contains strong language, nudity, non-explicit, and then strong, mild violence. I mean, yeah, there is strong language, but I thought you had to say a certain amount of swear words yeah, before you get to R. But that seems to be the general consensus. Uh, it may not be a hard and fast rule. I mean, clearly not here. Mm-hmm. The nudity in here was not part of any sort of sexual Yeah, scene. it was just a naked woman coming out it of was, a lake. She was bathing or, or swimming in the lake. Something like that. Um, but it was a long, drawn-out scene. <laughs> so I want to get back to the town a little bit. So I know that we talked about how there's such a large cast of characters in there. I want to talk about like his work in the medical hospital side of things. Um, because... When you start out in the movie, he's just a complete and total dick, right? Like, he's he's an asshole, and yeah. he's unsympathetic, and I think that's probably... I understand why the movie's trying to do that, right? They're trying to show that he is going to have this progressional change and, you know, appreciate this, the smaller things and the, you know, mm-hmm. the quaintness of small-town life and, and grow to appreciate all that stuff. Um, but he's just a cocky asshole from the start. He's one of those types of guys who will drive on the shoulder of the road because he thinks traffic laws don't apply to him. In fact, they even show him doing that. Yeah, Um, he has, like, the douchey car, like a Porsche. Yeah, he's just completely self-serving. And then as he starts to work in the hospital and sees all these patients, he gets quickly invested in the town. And one of the ways that that happens is uh, he's helping... 
these two, uh, this couple, uh, read their read their mail because they can't read, mm-hmm. and so they go to the doctor's office for whatever reason. They go to the doctor's office and not anywhere else in town um, to ask them ask him to read their mail for him. Right. And so then they get you know he gets all invested in the story of these people that we don't ever see on camera, and you know maybe the most interesting story that's told in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like the the woman and her Pakistani man boyfriend subplot. Um, and then at the very end when he's in L.A., they have the, you know, he's in he's in a cab. Um, and I think, honestly, like one of the the funnier moments in the movie, too, where the they're, he's being driven by a cab driver and... Uh, I guess from the the airport and the cab driver just like breaks down in tears mm-hmm. randomly like while he's like listening to a song and he's like oh it's okay I thought I don't know I thought the cab driver is actually like a really good actor in that little spot oh really I don't know I thought it was a, a nice little nuanced performance for something that was so minor um and I guess there's a fan theory as much as this movie could possibly have fans that that person who was the cab driver could have been the quote-unquote Pakistani man from the letters, which I thought was sort of interesting. But I say that to sort of go on a tangent and pause on the credits again, as we've done in the past, and talk about that cab driver who is a man named Ted Davis. Uh, He's done a little bit of everything. He's done a bunch of acting work. He's done a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, He's done some voiceover. Um, He may be in a couple more 1991 movies as we go forward. But what I found interesting about him right now is that he currently owns a photography gallery uh, in Mexico, and he's originally from Trinidad and, Trinidad and Tobago. So he's like sort of another one of those guys, I don't know, I guess I just find it interesting when people leave the acting life largely behind and follow their passions and are able to do that. something totally different. Yeah, and so he not yeah. only left acting behind, but he also left, you know, the U.S. behind and moved to, to Mexico um, and opened up this photography gallery. Which I think is pretty interesting. I guess he's pretty successful in that. So, a little tiny bit part leads to something weird and great. I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's just a straightforward romantic comedy to me. Yeah, it's very like a typical, you know, dick guy or assholey person goes to. Random small town, gets charmed by the small town. Stays in the small town instead of going to L.A. Yeah. Even though he goes to L.A. and comes back. Yeah, he goes to L.A. But I think my favorite part is when, like, Bridget Fonda and Woody Harrelson come to meet meet him. Or to tell him, hey, you know. You should go back. You should go back because Lou misses you, basically. Yeah, I think that's what that scene was trying to do. It was a little confusing, sort of like some of the other scenes. In the yeah, because yeah, he's just, you know, surprised to see Bridget Fonda there. But I think she stays there. But I don't... Does Woody Harrelson's character also stay with her? That was I the think other. so. I think they're together. And I know that at one point in the movie, Hank was saying how he'd love to be in L.A. and sell earthquake insurance. Okay. He can make a killing so, selling yeah. earthquake insurance in L.A. It's a so no they, brainer. Yeah, they decide to stay in L.A., but they're like, you can go back to South Carolina because Lou misses you. Yeah. 
And the pig. Yeah, and the pig. And the yeah. pig misses them too, of course. Yeah, decent performances all around for the most part. Honestly, except for maybe the two leads. I thought Michael J. Fox was a little... Meh? Uh, I thought Julie Warner was not who she could have been. Not as, you know... Um, I think Julie Warner kept her guard up in this role, right? Because she was trying to be protective against this character's advances, and as a result... Um, she let she let her guard up and kept her guard up for the audience as well. So I didn't really we didn't really get a good chance to to learn who she was. Um, but I liked the town. I liked the town's people. Uh, but I didn't like the comedy. Didn't like the chemistry, which are the two main driving points. So awards talk. Let's talk awards, and it'll be a very quick one. There's only one little thing to mention. Um, as you can imagine, this one did not get really, you know, recognized by the various different societies and critics out there. <laughs> um, but I did find a mention in our favorite awards show, the 1992 MTV Movie Awards. Okay, good. Um, oh, by the way, something I learned, I'm not sure if you realize this or not. 1992 MTV Movie Awards, the one we've been referencing, was the very first movie awards show from MTV. Oh, really? That was the first uh, edition of that. I didn't realize that until... Uh, oh, I thought it was going around at least for a couple of years, but yeah, evidently this was the first one. The first year, okay. Um, so this one did wasn't in any of the the major actual award winning categories, but um, it was part of a montage for a best performance by animals. Clips. So the pig. <laughs> the, so the pig was. <laughs> sort of nominated. There was no official winner that I could find in the category, but they did nominate five different animal performances from the year, and uh, the Doc Hollywood pig was one of them. It was mentioned, okay. So everyone loves the pig. It's a fine-looking pig. Even I did at that age, because it's the only thing I remembered yeah. <laughs> about the entire movie. <laughs> so there you go. So those are the awards. I'm confused because, I mean, this is part of the top 25 or top 50... Top 25 box office... Box office movies. movies of the year, yeah. And it did make $54 million On a $20 million budget. So, I mean, it did well. It did well, yeah. Near the, near the end of summer. Near the end of summer, August 4th, so... So I'm wondering, I mean, maybe it is fans of Michael J. Fox... It probably was. It probably was a lot of people who were expecting something different than what they got. Yeah. That's surprise. I mean, I guess that surprised me as watching this movie because I was like, Meh. like, yeah. how, how is this a top twenty-five movie? Or I I don't know. In fact, it made. I think it made more than Bugsy. That's insane. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, it, I think Bugsy was uh, one slot below it on the list. Huh. I'll, I'll, I'll have to double check. I mean, that. I was I'm just sure. yeah. I didn't read many reviews, but I mean, it's it did receive you know a B plus out of A on Cinema Score. So I was looking at you know just random you know Rotten Tomatoes gives it sixty eight percent, which is you know average. It's like a C. C yeah. Minus. That's why I was just like, how, how, and why did this become such a box office hit? And I'm, I'm just mostly thinking it's Michael J. Fox that was selling this movie. He, he was a major star at the time, as you I can mean, imagine. Yeah, we even watched the trailer, and it's just, you know, do you want to see this 
cool doctor move yeah. to L.A. Look at this hip young doctor with his circular sunglasses rims and his big fancy car. On to pop culture. I well, actually, well, this could be pop culture, but I have not seen this movie. But re reading about Doc Hollywood and just looking up random reviews and whatnot, apparently the movie Disney Pixar film Cars has been accused of plagiarizing the plot from this film, and many reviews for the movie Cars was indebted to the Michael J. Fox comedy Doc Hollywood, in which a hotshot doctor learns a new set of values when he's stranded in an average American town. It rips off almost the entire movie note for note, and according to a San Francisco Chronicle review, they just said, this is pretty much Doc Hollywood with cars. I've never seen I've never cars, seen cars either. but I just, I read the synopsis and yeah, it sounded a lot like Doc Hollywood, so. All right, so there's two things I'm curious about now, and I kind of want to see cars just to find out how they address these things. One is the pig. How do they, how do they handle the cars equivalent of a pig being driven around or whatever It could be like a, a smaller car right. or. Like a love bug or something. Uh, I'm trying to think of something cutesy. Um, and then how do they handle... Who, who's who's the car's equivalent of, of Julie Warner coming out of the lake naked? Well, it's probably the love interest car that... C- comes out of... Probably doesn't come out of... trunk open or something. Mm, I mean, this is <laughs> like a, a, a Pixar movie. I, I don't know. <laughs> like it's I, probably she I comes want, out of the wash, you know, a car wash all nice and squeaky clean. I want, I want a shot-by-shot remake with actual cars, not animated cars. Just stop-motion animation cars. Uh, then do it. Yeah. That'll be Cars 4. So, or, or let's get the cast of Doc Hollywood back to remake Cars the 2 voices. as a live action movie. Oh. Let's reverse steel. They should just do the voices of all these people as as cars. Sure. Why not? Let's just, you know, we'll build a we'll, we'll cinematic universe in some way. <laughs> Another thing, I almost had a hard time. I always try to find something that's going on the week that these movies come out. And I always try to find something true crime related that happened. Or just anything important or newsworthy or noteworthy that happened that week. And what I found on the exact day that this movie was released, August 2nd, 1991, was that Rick James and his girlfriend, Tanya Hijazi, was arrested on charges of holding a 24-year-old. Also, I'm going to give, this is a content warning, trigger warning, looking this up. So Rick James and his girlfriend were arrested on charges on August 2nd, 1991, of holding a 24-year-old Frances Alley hostage for up to six days, tying her up, forcing her to perform sexual acts, and burning her legs and abdomen with the hot end of a crack pipe during a week-long cocaine binge. Do you remember this? No, no. 
<laughs> honestly, I didn't really know who Rick James was until about when, um, like, You Can't Touch This was hitting, and I learned that it, oh, that th- song was sampled his, from, yeah. okay. from his. So, no, I had no idea who he was at that time. So, James faced a maximum sentence of life in prison if convicted of all charges, with, which included assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated mayhem, torture, forcible oral copulation, false imprisonment, and kidnapping. But he was out on bail as of November 3rd, 1992, so a little over a year later. After that, James, under the influence of cocaine, assaulted music executive Mary Sauger at the St. James Club and Hotel in West Hollywood. Sauger claims she met James and his girlfriend, Tanya Hijazi, for a business meeting but said the two then kidnapped her and beat her over a 20-hour period. Hmm. So, again, Rick James was found guilty of both the offense offenses that was from 1991 and then this 1992 offense. But he was cleared of a torture charge that could have put him in prison for the rest of his life. Okay. He went to prison for only... He served a little more than two years, so he was released in August of 1996. Huh. I knew none of that stuff. I vaguely remember these things from watching, you know, behind the music type things on VH1 or MTV, but I did not know it happened in 1991. So on to pop culture. That was the the fucked up thing that I learned. So let's let's (laughs) we'll lighten it back up, I guess. Pop culture wise. So the number one song is of that weekend, August 2nd, 1991 in the US and the UK was Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you. Okay. So it was right around that time. It was, yeah, carrying over from the Robin Hood movie. Still going strong. So mm-hmm. it wasn't the one and only by Chesney Hawks. It was not the number one song. It did not shoot to number one no, the not. same day this movie was released. <laughs> Sometimes they release these things early. Yeah. You never know. Also, this is something that I told you a couple days ago, and I don't uh, know if you, you thought said you're about gonna it. You're going to surprise me. Number one top R&B song is your favorite song of all time, I think. Uh-huh. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince Summertime. Okay, that's what I sort of thought it would be. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were saying that jokingly or legitimately. I found this out and I was like, oh, your favorite song yeah. ever. Because when you say your favorite song ever, that could be taken sarcastically. I know. But no, I lis- legitimately, I listened to the whole Summertime album, mm-hmm. that entire album, for an entire school year. Like on the bus to, only, okay. to and from school. Yes, only that album, front to back, every single time. Both versions of Ring That Ring My Bell and mm-hmm. everything in there in between. So, um, yes, one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> okay, on to the TG, ABC TGIF lineup. <laughs> I love it. So this was interesting to me. I was looking this up again and you know how it's always usually the same three and then one iffy Mm -hmm. one oddball yeah this one had two so it was it's i think it's like during the summer and this tgif summer lineup 
situation. Yeah, either like mid mid Yeah, either trying to introduce a new show, yeah, just to test it out. But yeah, like a yeah. mid-season type of thing. So obviously the first is Full House. Mm-hmm. That's almost always. It's yep. always the first to be shown, the first show. After that was, it's called a, quote, busted pilot. Okay. And it was an unsold series pilot of a TV show called Howie and Rose. And so it's, this is something they actually aired on yeah. TV? They, yeah. And they right called after it a Full busted House. pilot? Like they no, they call it, it they call it, no, it was the show Howie and Rose, but uh-huh. they call it the busted pilot. Oh, maybe that was the episode name. No, 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 no. I think they called... This is what I was trying to find, but I think they call these unsold series pilots as busted pilots. Like, it okay, just didn't so, do well. Right, okay. So so they are advertising the fact that this is, like, sort of Here's like a, a new show. show and, yeah, Here's okay. the first episode. Okay, I got you. Watch it. If you didn't... Yeah. It's a so, busted pilot. So Howie and Rose, can I guess, is it Howie Mandel? Is one of them? Correct. I don't know who Rose would be. Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. It is about a wild radio personality who is suddenly named guardian of his young niece after her mother is sent to prison. So, yes, it is Howie Mandel right. as the radio personality taking care of his niece. So, it was like this. Rose was like a younger actress. Then. Yeah. It's like this My Two Dads, but just... Just the one uncle, day. <laughs> uncle and my one radio his, yeah, DJ, yeah. uncle and niece, pretty much. So I guess that did not do well because they only showed it this one time. Yeah, interesting. I would like to see that. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of interested. After that was Perfect Strangers. Okay. And then the last show is this show that was on for a season on ABC, and then it went to. The second season was on Nick at Night, and it's called Hi Honey, I'm Home, which I kind of vaguely remember this show. And it's about a TV-loving teen who discovers that his new next-door neighbors are the Nielsens, which are these characters from a 1950s sitcom but they still yeah act as if they're from the 50s and aren't they in black and white yeah they're in black and white and then the rest of the world is in color yeah yeah and he kind of this neighbor introduces this family into the 90s world with technology and whatever yeah i sort of remember that that lasted two seasons wow yeah but I mean, the first season was on ABC, and then the second season, it went on to Nick at Night. That's cool. Memory, memories flooding back. Yeah. Of old, forgotten TV. Let's move on to rankings and ratings, then. Um, what do you give Doc Hollywood on a one-to-five scale? Out of one-to-five, I would give this movie a two. Two? So right on line with Bugsy, which is better, Bugsy or Doc Hollywood? I would, I would watch Doc Hollywood over Bugsy. Okay. Because at least this movie kind of made me laugh a bit. And side by side with Cars, you'll watch it. Yeah. Two screens I mean, going at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I'll see if it's scene <laughs> for scene the same movie. 
Alright, uh, on my 0 to 4 star scale, I probably put this at a 1. Okay, so you would rather watch Bugsy over this? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that Bugsy was a better movie production-wise. Okay. Um, this one, I mean, I liked some of the characters, but that was about it. You know, a few bit parts here and there is not enough to to keep me enthralled, so... I guess that's the question. Would you watch this again? Yeah. Yeah? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it was on in the background and I was playing a board game like I was yeah, in 1991, yeah. then sure. But I'm not gonna... I don't know. There's there's so many more. This movie gave me, like, slight Back to the Future 3 vibes, maybe because of, like, the small town... And, okay. like, they had, like, the carnival and the dancing and stuff, and they tried to sort of, like, quote reference, you know, Back to the Future at times when Woody Harrelson's like, come get your insurance quote, unless you're chicken, like, stuff like yeah. that, you know what I mean? So, like, it just kind of gave me, like, I don't know, I just watched Back to the Future 3, the other which thing is that the made worst me, Back to the Future movie. Yeah, the other thing that made me laugh, actually, and I didn't mention it before, but when... At the very end. Mm-hmm. I guess the very end scene was, like, my favorite scene. Yeah, yeah, that was a good scene. Where, you know, Bridget Fonda and him and Michael J. Fox are at this restaurant. It kind of looks fancy. Yeah, it's a high-end restaurant in L.A. And um, Bridget Fonda, like, near the, when, I guess, when the credits are going to start, maybe, or near the very end... Bridget Fonda goes, oh, is that a famous person? And then Woody Harrelson goes, no, it's just Ted Danson. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was probably the best joke. Yeah, definitely one of the best jokes. Uh, But yeah, uh, come for the pig, leave when the pig's off screen. That's my advice. Uh, But if you do want to watch Doc Hollywood after our glowing reviews, as of this recording in February 2021, it's available on HBO Max, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. As always, check your local listings. Uh, For the podcast, you can listen to us on all the major podcasting platforms. Uh, You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we'll be watching Sleeping with the Enemy as our last top 25 box office hit of the year. And that's going to be available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks. 